Welcome to The Real Deal with Danielle Delaney. In the next hour, you'll hear from some phenomenal people and healthcare leaders and learn how their challenges became opportunities. Our goal is to show you how you can positively influence your own life experience and purpose and achieve success. And now, here is your host, Danielle Delaney. Hello, and welcome to The Real Deal with Danielle Delaney. I am your host, Danielle Delaney, and I'm also the author of a new book, and I'd love for you all to go and pick it up. It's available at expectdelaysbook.com. My book is titled Expect Delays, How to Reclaim Your Life, Light, and Soul After Trauma. Today, we have a guest that we've had on previously, and um, today's actually part two of a really popular uh, episode that aired on February 14th on my show, and that episode is still available to hear any time at all. It was with Lewis Gossett Jr. and my, my guest today, who is Keith A. Summers, and today we're speaking about the Keith A. Summers Foundation, CASIF, which stands for the Keith A. Summers International Foundation. Uh, we were limited by time, so I want to pick up where we left off from the last episode, and um, Keith is a man who has been through such a great deal, survived it all against all odds, and lived to tell the tale. So his biography is on my host page, which you can all look at prior to listening to this. And the shorter version of that as a refresher is that Keith is now an elite public speaker, a highly sought-after international speaker, one of the premier public speakers internationally, who motivates and informs everywhere that he speaks. Um, he has saved lives. People come up to him, you saved my life. I was going to kill myself before I heard you speak. He has affected so much change, and I'm just delighted to have him. So, Keith, thank you for being here today. Hey, thanks a lot, Danielle. I really appreciate the invite. Absolutely. When you said that you wanted to discuss identity, I think that's such a timely topic because it's all about who you think you are in this world, all of us out there walking around, versus who they tell you you are or tell us that we are. And you really, you know, you found a way to compartmentalize in a healthy way and come through some extreme trauma. And I know how I did it, but I'm very interested in how other people do that. So I'd love to hear a little bit about that. I, I'd like to talk about why, wh- how and why did you found CASIF, your foundation? Well, after um, serving time in the state penal system and getting through the other side disciplinary free, mm-hmm. without incurring a verbal nor written warning, I knew that what I had done was no small feat. The magnitude to which I didn't comprehend it wasn't until I got out and I employed the exact same tools out here in free society as I did while incarcerated, which was participating in my own recovery, cleaning house, being of service, and never saying no to a request to help another. Wow. Now, when you and say so, participating in your own recovery, you do mean addiction and, and recovery, correct? Alcoholism, AA? Correct. Correct. We practice in the recovery community, as you all know, that we have a daily reprieve. That means we have 23 hours, 59 minutes, 59 seconds reprieve, providing we do what's necessary to fix our spiritual malady. Mm -hmm. And that spiritual malady in layman's terms is a skewed or warped perception of ourself, society, and others. So when when I'm able to get down to the cause and condition to find out where my perspective started skewing, it goes back to second grade, goes back to the loss of identity of self, where I didn't mm-hmm. understand who I was. If I didn't 
understand that, how could I understand the world, reality, as it presented itself? No, that makes so much sense, Keith. And I, one of the things you say that I really like that I've heard you say in some of these amazing talks that you've given to schools and other huge organizations is when you say that you brought your isms, Keith brought his isms with him. And it just, it kind of rolls off the tongue well, and I like that. But that's exactly what it is. People bring their isms with them, and until they heal, they can't, they can't um, overcome. So tell me some more. Right. Go on ahead. Tell me more. Well, they use, they use the acronym ACEs, you know, Acute Childhood um, Traumas. And what they are is, you know, social abuse mm-hmm. in the family. You have emotional abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse. You have having a loved one being beaten or abused in front of you, mm-hmm. being homeless, uh, not having proper nourishment, proper food and hydration, not having proper parental rearing where you're coming through severe dysfunction to the degree that you think the only way you can get through what you're dealing with on a daily basis is through anger and aggression and hostility. Right. So neglect fuels that when children are neglected. Absolutely. And, you know, when we say we were talking before, hurt people, hurt people, you know, damage people, damage other people. Absolutely. So, and I, and when you, all that pain culminates into that self-hatred, we have a lot of youth more than ever slashing themselves, doing very horrendous piercings to their body and face. Mm-hmm. And a lot of this stuff is a lot of us crying out. They, they mask it saying it's based on individuality, hence the identity. But a lot of it, it's, it's a cry. And they're saying you that this is who I am. Don't pigeonhole me. Look at me. Know that I'm different from you. Interesting. You know what? I've never thought of it that way because, uh, pardon me, but I work with 17 and up in my counseling practice, and you tend to deal with some younger people, and I haven't really looked at it that way. They do say it's their individuality or expressing themselves artistically, but I hadn't looked at it as part of the self-harm, and that's really it's interesting that you say that. that. That just hit me like a ton of bricks. Very interesting. A lot of times, like when we walk down the street, we walk down, we go out into the world, and we gauge the world with a library full of biases. Mm-hmm. And the bias is basically the story we assign to a person, place, or thing before we formulate an actual real-life experience for ourselves. Right, like a real informed opinion of them. So it's based on a snap judgment, basically, is what you're saying. Correct. And it's usually, usually based on historical experiences of others that they assign to you. Like, have you ever heard the expression, most people are other people? Mm-hmm. That's, because, that's because when you're young and you're, and you're very impressionable or you come from a, you know, a proper uh, home environment, you have people instilling their values, morals, ethics, and perspectives on you. And mm-hmm. then so you automatically are starting with a software programming that didn't come from you, but it came from others. And then you see how others respond in society. You see how people treat people who get out of nice cars and restaurants and hotels. Right, and you begin to believe and internalize those, those, those things that you've witnessed. Right, and you, you, you put a stigma on the transient, the person who's homeless, who's downtrodden, and you treat the person in the Italian suit and custom attire with respect and dignity, yet denying it to someone who doesn't have the financial ability. Those biases shift our society at large. 
And it's so, and so, it's so sad that that's the, it's so sad that that is true, Keith, because, you know, no one person is better than another person. And it's just that, that painful realization that people don't realize that things will not fix them, that external will not heal the internal. It's the spiritual bankruptcy. And these, these external things that we see, that, that could be a serial killer getting out of that car and an angel sitting on the sidewalk. And everyone right. has a story. Everyone has a history. There's a reason that everyone's there. And just that equality and humanity is, is getting lost. And, of course, people lost in their devices as well. It's just things are changing and not so much in a good way when, when it comes to the snap judgments and those blink decisions people make about one another and what, what identity they push onto that other person, which is about themselves. That's about me, not about that person. And it's, it's really, I'm, I'm happy to hear you mention that because that's a tough, tough reality, but it's the truth. Yeah, well, that's, I was that person that tried to fix what was going on internally with, by acquiring the external. Mm. And I was to put a theme to that. It was when I get, then I'll be. Mm. My identity wasn't whole. And you hear in a lot of songs of romance and passion and relationships where the person says, like in the movie Jerry Maguire, you complete me. You have oh, that to believe me. When I do couples counseling, I always tell people, please get that movie out of your head. <laughs> yeah, right. Not the helpful. knight in shining armor will save you. And all these childhood fantasies of the princess you know, kissing, kissing the frog to find her prince. I yeah. mean, these things are so ingrained in our society, but they are horrendously impacting because people actually look through those fantasy filters and they look for that guy who's the fulfillment or the embodiment of that Prince Charming. And the guy looks for that supermodel, that Victoria's Secret, yet denying their true value, their true beauty, their true essence. Absolutely the truth. Absolutely the truth, Keith. And you know what? Y'all even get people who not only believe that you complete me and the external and someone else to complete them when you really cannot find or connect with someone else until you've completed yourself and done the work on yourself. But I also have women in their 30s and 40s who feel that they cannot connect, and men as well, because they're basing their life on what they saw in Friends, or they're basing their life on what they saw in Sex in the City. And you think those people wouldn't all have time for each other all the time. It's not reality. And they don't realize that these things, these, this view, this world view that's just so myopic that all these people are going to come and help and support you or that the external can fix the internal or like you're saying, the, the princess and the prince kissing her and changes her world. It's, it's not that way and people need to look inward. So that's, I'm, I love that you brought that up. I absolutely love that you brought it up because I see it in session constantly where people have this, this, uh, this viewpoint that's been foisted onto them by, by pop culture and other things and other beliefs. Yeah. Them. And I basically tell a lot of the people that I work with, especially sponsees in recovery, I say, do, you, do me a favor. When you, get, when you get the moment, just turn on the radio or turn on the TV or some kind of social media mm-hmm. and sit back and don't, don't, don't attach your emotions to what you're hearing. Don't be affected by it. Mm-hmm. Just as an unbiased evaluator, sit there and ask this question. In the story that I'm hearing unfold before me, where do I see fear? Mm. Where is their fear? And from, from whence does it come? Is it coming from the person telling the chronology of the story of events that occurred in their life and the trauma that they've experienced? Mm-hmm. Or, are they the, or, or are, they, are they the offender? Are mm-hmm. they 
they enforcing their rights like a politician saying, I am doing this, you have to deal with it. Mm-hmm. And I remember being in, in county jail, and I watched this guy who was getting his hair cut, and he stands up, he pulls off his shirt, and gets rid of the hair that's on his clothes. And underneath his shirt, mm-hmm. he has a swastika, the, the swastika covering his back, and in the center of the swastika is the head of Adolf Hitler. Mm. And the other African-American inmates look at me, and they say, hey, hey, slow down, big man. You know, he doesn't mean any harm by this. He's not challenging you or calling anybody out for a combat. Mm-hmm. And they proceed to tell me the story that this, this Caucasian inmate was incarcerated at Folsom State Prison, and he was on the fifth tier when a race riot broke out between the African-Americans and Caucasians. What does the fifth tier mean? Meaning five tiers, five floors up in the air, and the only thing separating a person from the day room below five oh. floors is a three-foot-high railing at the time. Wow. So when the race riot jumped off and you step out of your cell and you look to your left and right, it's like United Nations of all the other races. Mm-hmm. So the other races stepped out of the way, and the black, some of the black inmates grabbed this white inmate and were throwing him, getting ready to throw him over the railing. And another black inmate requested that they put that guy down and leave him alone. They saved his life. Huh. And the first thing that this inmate's going to do when he gets out was he was, had an appointment with a laser remover. Oh, the laser tattoo, tattoo removal. Mm-hmm. And every single day while he was serving time, he was hanging around African-American inmates. Wow, well, he now, had a lot of explaining Aryan... to do with something that offensive on his back. He had a lot of exactly. explaining to do, I would imagine. Exactly. But it, mm. took, it took a profound, life-changing, life-saving experience for him to shift his perspective and realize people of color are not the enemy. It has wow. nothing to do with the color and the melatonin of a, people, of a person's skin. Because if you really get down to the research, like I'm sure you have, race isn't real. Race is a construct and imagination that was set back in the day in order to compartmentalize people. While mm-hmm. you give certain, you, you basically, it's dispensation. You give certain rights and privileges to certain individuals, yet denying it to others mm-hmm. based, on, based on the assignment of identity. Mm-hmm. Not about like Dr. Martin Luther King would ask that we judge men and women by the content of their character versus the color of their skin. So when you're walking down the street and you see the African-American youth coming towards you and you're alone and you're a female and you grab your purse and quickly dart to the other side of the street, Mm -hmm. those biases that you're formulating, you've already created not only his identity, in your fear of that person, but you've also set your identity. Exactly, and how you make that person feel as well, what you're creating, exactly. what you're putting out there. Now, is this part of why you found, founded CASIF, your organization, your foundation? Yeah, I, when I started speaking, and like you talked about earlier, a lot of the audience was coming up to me, and this girl came up with tears in her eyes, and she was talking about how she had left a note at her home before she came to the meeting. And mm-hmm. she came to the meeting to fulfill a promise of her friend. But what her friend didn't know is the note that she wrote at home before coming was her suicide note. Oh. 
and she was going to go home from the meeting, take two bottles of Oxycontin medication, and a, drink a half gallon of vodka and end her life that very night. Horrible. And she said, and she's crying hysterically while trying to articulate to me that because of what I shared with her and everybody else in attendance, she feels like I can go on. I don't have to kill myself. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I know I don't need to end my life that night. No, and that's a beautiful moment when, it, when you find your purpose because you know you've changed or touched someone in a way that will save their life and affect the rest of their life and really affect change. So is that when you began with, with, this, with this journey of yours, with the foundation? Yes, it is. That's, that was a straw that broke the camel's back because it happened multiple times. It happened wow. multiple times. I had a girl come up to me who was, um, who was pregnant, and she tells me that the people think the baby inside of her belongs to her current boyfriend, but the truth of the matter was it belonged to her stepfather, who her mom just married. And the girl said, I'd rather commit suicide than have my mom, who I love, find out that the man she married impregnated me. Oh. And then I had another kid come up and say that his dad put all the kids in this living room a few months ago and told the kids, his biological children, if I ever find out that you are gay or a lesbian, I will disinherit you that moment I find that out. And the boy telling me the story of his home experience, he's gay. Mm-hmm. And, and he said he's been contemplating suicide because his dad's extremely wealthy, and he had counted on that wealth helping him in his life. And he loves his family. He doesn't want to be disinherited because of his sexual orientation. Of course not, and he just wants to be who he was born to be. It's, exactly. it's so painful going through life with these, with these different bias and stigma and, and just perceptions that other people put on, on someone, and particularly when you're young, but it affects people when they're older as well. Believe me, I have suicidal clients from every age between 17 and 85, and, um, and it leads to addiction, leads to isolation, leads to, you know, when people don't deal with the traumas that they're, that they're enduring and don't have help or support for that, it does come out sideways, and often that's in suicidality, that's in suicidal ideation, just so many difficult things, the self-harm you spoke of before, and of course, addiction, you know, multiple I, addictions, different addictions, it can I, be anything at this point, and it's, it's really a lot of suffering going on, and people just trying to self-medicate. Yeah, I tell them that all the time, I say, listen, trauma not transformed becomes trauma transferred. Mm, absolutely. So, so for a father to tell his children that if I find out you have an any sexual orientation other than the one that I authorize or approve of, I will disinherit you. In order for a man to tell his own children that, he's working from a lot of damage, a lot of pain, and a lot of trauma. And he's causing more of it. It's a ripple effect. Because he's not able to articulate why is it that a person who has a different sexual orientation than himself or those he accepts as proper why they don't deserve to be cared for, why they don't deserve to be loved, respected, why they don't deserve to be safe. See, that kind of anger, that kind of rage comes out of fear. And the two kinds of fear that are most prevalent in our society is fear of losing what you have or fear not getting what you think you rightfully deserve. True, and fear of other other, just what you do not understand, what's different from yourself. And it's, it's so sad to see that. And that, so tell me a little bit more about, tell, describe Cassif's 
impact since its creation, your organization, the Keith A. Summers International Foundation. Describe a little bit more about the impact. Helping these people and knowing that has to be such a powerful thing. I know that that's what drives my work. It's it's never about, uh, it's not about money. It's about really giving back and leaving something behind, having a legacy, knowing that you've left something that matters behind one day and saved people and helped people and, and contributed to someone's life other than just your own. And um, describe a little bit more about that impact and how you know about that. Tell me more about that. I remember when I was in second, let me see, it was probably in, I think probably around seventh grade, sixth or seventh grade, and I remember this guy named David Toma came to speak in a school assembly, and he proceeded to tell a story how he was an undercover police officer in New York City, and his story became the founding information for two successful TV shows. One was Toma, a man of 10,000 disguises, mm-hmm. and the other one was Robert Blake's TV show, Beretta. Beretta. Mm-hmm. And he proceeded to tell a story about how he was working in uniform as a police officer, and he responded to a call of a little boy choking to death. And he arrived, and he grabbed the kid inside his home, and he performed a heimlich maneuver and saved the kid from choking to death. He gets done his shift, he goes home, and at his own dinner table, his own son choked to death in front of him. Oh, I never forgot that story. And the reason I never forgot that story is because I had a personal experience with that story. And Stanford Mm -hmm. University recently published an article talking about the power of personal face-to-face presentations Mm -hmm. and how they can do more to shift a perspective than any amount of classroom education. Oh, yeah. That is the, it is the number one way of transforming perspectives. I absolutely agree. Public speaking and your, the, the powerful message that you can deliver one-on-one, face-to-face, it's not something that can be found in a book. And, you know, people earn their street degree by basically learning what they pick up, picking up what others put down, and, and exactly the identity that's, that's given to them that is not their actual identity. And um, I, I think that you're absolutely right about that. And that study from Stanford shows it on paper, but it is, yeah. it's common sense. It's absolutely common sense that that's so much more powerful. And, you know, you can... A lot of people have come up to me, and not one time have I spoken where people have not told me that I spoke their story. Now, I stand six foot two. I'm mixed race. I am bald headed. Mm-hmm. My dad's African American. My mom's Italian East Indian. Mm-hmm. And when I have a 15 year old, a 16 year old Asian, 100% Asian female come up to me crying her eyes out, saying I told her story. It has absolutely nothing to do with the melatonin pigmentation of my skin. No, it my does not. Stature, where I'm from, how much money I make, how much money my family has. None of that plays its role in, in her appreciating the humanity that we share and the similarities of our human experience. Exactly. We're more similar, than, we're more alike than we are different. And when people right. begin to grasp that concept and realize that, 
that's when real healing begins and when people can understand one another. Now, we're going to take a short break, but when we come back, I'd like to pick up with that and talk a little bit more about that, about people identifying with one another and some of what CASIF needs to experience some greater social impact. What does your organization need so that we can continue this? Um, in the meantime, I'd love you to give out the website for your organization before we go to break. Sure. It's www.keithasummersfoundation.org. That's www.keithasummersfoundation.org. Keithasummersfoundation.org. Okay. Well, we'll be back in just a moment, and we'll talk some more with Keith A. Summers. And um, I can always be found at DanielleDelaneyCounseling.com, and you can find all of my social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all of it, if you just go to DanielleDelaneyCounseling.com. And you can also find my book at ExpectDelaysBook.com. All right. We'll be back in just a moment. Build your better business. Achieve that goal. Make good on that resolution. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. Where can you listen to some of the world's top life coaches ready to dish out success tips and entrepreneurial guidance? The Voice America Empowerment Channel will do just that. Whether it's personal growth, building a better business, or inspirational life stories, make it a daily habit to tune into our programs. From weight loss and personal branding to law of attraction and increased happiness, you'll find it every day at VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Build a better business. Achieve that goal. Make good on that resolution. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. You are tuned in to The Real Deal with Danielle Delaney. If you'd like to connect with Danielle, feel free to send an email to therealdealwithdanielle at gmail.com. That's therealdealwithdanielle at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. And you're back, and I'm back, and welcome back to listening to The Real Deal with Danielle Delaney. I'm talking with Keith A. Summers today about his foundation, the Keith A. Summers International Foundation, which is CASIF. And Keith, when we just left off for the break, we were talking about when you speak somewhere publicly, these powerful, deep talks about life experience and about becoming who you are and about overcoming trauma, and the people who will sometimes walk up to you are a different nationality, different race, different size, height, body type, and sometimes female, and you're obviously male, and they say that you spoke to them, you told their story, they completely identified with you, and we were talking about how, as humans, we are more alike than different in more, in more cases than, than people realize and recognize, so that's a very powerful thing. And I wanted to pick up with that and talk a little bit more about that and what your foundation needs to experience 
to have an even greater social impact because what you're doing is fantastic. And I'd like to know what you need. What do you need to experience to have a greater social impact? And, and also, what does identity mean to you as we're speaking about identity? What, what is that exactly? Like, what, how do you speak to, you, to youth today about the identity that has been put upon them, placed upon them, of who people perceive them to be, and how they can fight against that and, and internally know who they are. I mean, they're young. Their brains aren't fully formed yet, some of the young ones that you speak to. So I'd love to hear more about identity and also more about what your foundation needs in order to uh, have greater social impact. Well, let's see. The word identity, when you define identity, I found basically – two different terminologies okay. as it pertains to the word identity. One, the fact of being who or what a person or thing is. And the second one is a close similarity or affinity. So I usually focus on mm-hmm. the latter, the second prong of that definition, a close similarity or affinity. Okay. In the rooms of recovery, in the rooms of recovery, there's a marked, palatable, definable, and measurable moment when a person has that internal switch activated, and they get it. They get it in a most profound way. They might not be able to articulate what it is, but they get it internally. And when that occurs, mm-hmm. there's an audible or a silent confirmation of that moment. And usually it's a person sitting in the audience at a recovery meeting, Mm -hmm. and they hear something that is so profoundly aligned with their life experience, they go, (gasps) Yeah, I've heard that before. Me too. Me too. Mm -hmm. Whether they say it audibly or only in their head, when they say me too, they've connected to humanity in such a powerful level. That they, that's what we all try to maintain on a daily basis. That's what the drugs, the alcohol, the sexual promiscuity, the abuse of power, authority, and control mm-hmm. of others is all about. It's meaning I matter. I'm here. I need to be loved. I need to be respected. I need to be appreciated. And I need to be needed. I need to be seen. I think a lot of it is also I right. need to be seen. People want to be seen and heard. That's a universal need. I mean, that just comes into play always with counseling and, and anything else that I do with public speaking as well. It's people want to be understood, seen, and heard. That's just universal. And, and a lot of things is the reason why you have an out-of-balance need seen, like myself when I was a class clown in mm. school, my mom and dad let me know I was loved. My brother let me know that I was loved. So it wasn't because I didn't have an outward, tangible display of love in my home environment. Mm-hmm. But yet when I would go to school, it was out of bounds because I was the class clown. I needed people to know that, oh, Keith is here. We get to laugh and have a good experience because I didn't have a good self-worth. My self-worth was based on the feelings I had of self. No matter how many times you told me you loved me, you cared for me, you needed me, you, you want. My mom and dad were, were distraught 
when they came to the realization of how little self-esteem and self-worth that I had when I expressed to them my contemplations of suicide. Wow. They now, if someone came like to you with that, if I someone came directly to you with that, with what you just said to me, what would you instruct them? I know what I would tell them, but I'd like to know what you would tell them if would be their first step to try to come to a place of, of confronting themselves and of getting to know who, who they actually are. What would you say to someone who came to you with that same story? Hey, listen, listen to them, number one. Get mm-hmm. down to what's real. Get down to what's real, not what the emotions are telling them is real. Mm-hmm. When that girl told me, when those girls and kids come up and say that they want to commit suicide that night, not in the future, not weeks from now, that night, I tell them two things. Number one, the person you're going to kill tonight is the wrong person. Mm-hmm. Because you're going to kill the person who your identity of self says is not worth living one more day. That people that are associated with you by friends or lineage, by family, are going to be of better value when you're dead. Mm. That's a lie. That's a lie that's derived from a poor perception of self. So number two, the person that you would kill tonight not only would it be the wrong person, but you'd be taking a permanent solution to a temporary problem. Absolutely. That's exactly what I say as well. And I know it sounds cliche to some people, but it is, when you really think about that statement, a permanent solution to a temporary problem. It's going to change. The only thing constant is change. And as we talk about that, I want to give out the suicide prevention hotline, which is one 800 273 8255. That's 1-800-273-8255. And anyone who's having thoughts of hurting themselves or is triggered by their conversation or has any suicidal ideation at all, that's the number to call. And absolutely no permanent solutions to temporary problems because it's, it's, it's not the way it's always going to be. And you just can't see past it right now, but it will change. So I, I love that that's your answer as well. I have to remind my sponsors and those who I'm talking to of my, my personal experience. And mm-hmm. there's an old adage that says, I can't hear you because your actions are speaking too loud. Mm-hmm. Well, well, when I speak to them, know that it's coming from a man who was incarcerated in California penal system. I had no release date on any paperwork. Every single person with authority over my physical life said, you will draw your last physical breath in a penal institution, most likely in a prison cell. I can't imagine the finality of that and the, the, the feeling of no escape. I can't even imagine. That's something that many of us will never experience. I've had a lot of trauma, but to think that you can never, ever uh, have that change, and I'm sure that's never, what they had never, to believe in. Never, never, never. The governor is audibly, the governor situation. verbally, the governor verbally, Pete Wilson, Bray Davis, Arnold Schwarzenegger audibly stated multiple times, the only way a lifer will be released from our penal institution is what's called pine box parole. That's that in a coffin. fitted with a toe tag and in a pine box, leaving feet first out of the penal institution. Mm-hmm. So from that perspective, I had to follow the rules. 
the regulations of the penal system, which are far more stringent and critical than the California Penal Code prescriptions for conduct as a misdemeanor or felony. And I still did so by walking that that tightrope every single minute, every hour, every week, every month, every year for 18 and a quarter years consecutive without incurring a single solitary verbal or written warning. And that is amazing and commendable. And I'd love to know, I mean, logistically I can understand and all the listeners can understand you survived this. You got through this more than intact because you survive and thrive and inform others now. But how did you do that? How did you tap into that inner strength? I had to cry a lot. Good. I had to break down. I had to get to the end of myself like an astronaut on a, on a, out in space. When, you're, when your tether cord is cut to the mothership and you're flailing back, and there's nothing to grab hold of you, and everything that you know about, everything you care about, has been removed from you forever. Mm-hmm. That is where I found my identity. So you heard the saying, and you hear mm-hmm. these little quips saying, rock mm-hmm. bottom is a great place to start. Because mm-hmm. when it's truly a rock bottom, you know what people do? You stop digging. True. They feel they so hit. when you're at the actual rock bottom and you're stopped digging and you realize you've, you've exhausted every means within you and outside of you to fix that feeling of, that's inside that says, I can't go on one more second. This pain is too much for me to deal for one more second. I can't look in the mirror. I shy away from my own reflection because I hate what I see reflected back to me. Mm-hmm. I get that. I get that. So then I had to become the person that I never knew I could become. And I had to do it from inside a penal institution. Um, There was no internet when I went in. I couldn't even Skype. I couldn't email. None of it existed. No. I didn't have a phone to call, a direct dial call, and talk to a clinician to help me. Mm -mm. I was left with myself and my higher power. And you ever hear this expression, the mind that creates the problem is ill-equipped to fix the problem, Mm -hmm. have new information? Mm -hmm. I had to acquire that new information. And how did you do that? How did you do that? I talked to pastors. I talked to Protestant chaplains, Catholic chaplains, Muslim imams, Mm -hmm. Jewish rabbis, anybody who had information that I didn't have about finding my true identity. And isn't it amazing how helpful that is? Because I do spiritual counseling. I'm a doctor of theology and divinity. And as well, I find that some people are so lost in the stuff and in the, and the external, and they forget to go inward to find what they're looking for. And that's always where it is. And, and it's, speaking to the, to the definition of identity, I want to quote something that Stedman Graham said. And when I went to see him speak, and I find him to be a tremendous speaker and so much depth, he said that many of us spend years trying to find out who we are, and sadly, too many of us never do. If we fail to define ourselves, we risk letting others define us by our race, our gender, and background. We buy into the labels that keep us in a box, and as a result of those limitations, never realize our greatest potential. 
And I think that's exactly. the saddest thing of all when that happens. That quote stayed with me because I've watched so many people accept the labels and, and the box that they've been put into. And they're always amazed that I'm not in a box and that I was able to overcome extreme trauma and I was able to become what I wanted to become and not listen to people telling me that I can't and that that trauma will stay with me forever. Of course it's with me, but it's what you do with it. And it's, I think that just speaks to, uh, you know, understanding that there is something greater than yourself. It doesn't have to be that understanding of God. I'm an interfaith spiritual counselor and doctor. So um, I always look at that as, you know, it's the hummingbird that goes by your window. It's the, it's the, 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 the crow breeze. that flies above. It just right. is that there is something larger than yourself. It doesn't need to be so defined, and that's why I love doing interfaith work, because people have it so, um, so delineated in a way that they can't relate to it. It's so lofty that it's not brought down to earth enough for them to realize. It's just that tree and grounding themselves and touching that tree and that there is something larger that created that tree. So I, I love what you're saying. I absolutely agree with you. And, you know, the, when, it break, when you have to break things down to the lowest common denominator, mm-hmm. you find that pride and ego have no place. Because the pride and ego have no place when you're actually contemplating ending your life. Mm-hmm. So if you're really serious about ending your life, you don't care about how perfect your hair is. You don't care about the car you're driving. You don't care about the restaurant or the club or the environment that requires membership only. You just want you just want that pain to stop between your ears. Right. Right. It's that so point. I didn't just have I didn't just have my pain. I had the pain of being responsible for the loss of a life that ended when I under my disease of drug addiction and alcoholism made antisocial choices that were guaranteed to have a tragic outcome. The only determining factor yet to be determined pre-November 92 is when the tragedy would occur and to what degree of consequence. Mm-hmm. See, Whitney Houston had that same warning. Michael Jackson had that same warning. Mm-hmm. Prince had that same warning. Heath Ledger had that same warning. Every single person, Amy Winehouse, had that same warning Mm -hmm. many times, many times. Mm -hmm. But you don't heed it because you don't know what you don't know and you can't see what you can't see. No, and of course, those are also some people who are surrounded by people who don't necessarily want them to see. They prefer them in that state. And it's... uh, it's it's tragic. It absolutely is tragic to be, um, you know, led to continue down a, a, a path of destruction because it's to the, you know, to the, it, it's better for the people surrounding them. It's to their benefit. Right. Step two. Step two is came to believe that a power greater than ourselves. Now that's the not, that's not the part. Of, that's not the prong of step two that deters people. Mm-hmm. It's the second part of that, which is came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could what? could restore us to sanity. Mm-hmm. So if you have to be restored to something, what is your current mental state? Not well. Good. So how are you going to trust your picker when you're insane? Right. Your picker is off, pick, clearly. Exactly. And you need to trust in something else. And that's the problem is that, are you gonna a, lot that people, pardon? Yeah. 
How are you going to pick that healthy relationship when you're insane? Exactly. And a lot of those people you mentioned speak about spirituality all the time, but they were lost. They were lost. It's one thing to speak about it, and it's another to live it. It's it's not a relationship that's external. It's within yourself. Exactly. Mm -hmm. It's it's inside. But Mm -hmm. it's so simple, people want to try to find it through external means. It can't be that simple. It can't be, if that was the answer, why does everyone have it? Because of pride, ego, and fear. Absolutely. Pride, ego, and fear. You have the answer. You're a prince living like a pauper. You're a princess living like a prostitute. Because you don't want to... And you'll get more of what you accept. You get more of what you accept. And sometimes people don't realize that things can change, and you can change your response. You can't always change the circumstance, but you can change your response. I mean, you were certainly in a situation where you could not change the circumstance. You educated yourself. You did everything possible, and you managed to change a lot, and you're free now. But it is absolutely managing your response. We always have a choice. There's going to be challenges, but we always have a choice in how we're going to respond. There's always that opportunity for growth, and um, it, it depends on how we choose to respond and people forget it's absolutely a choice you know nothing yep. is is um, etched in stone you get to decide how you're going to respond to certain things and that's right, going to right. determine where you end up and in my particular case I wasn't going to allow rape and trauma and kidnap to define me forever I will talk about right. it wherever I see pain and suffering I want to be able to be of help and of service because it's right. my experience I know how to how to overcome that so I want to help people but it was a matter of not allowing it to win I wasn't going to be beaten by something that I didn't choose and um, and I'm always trying to tell people that they have a choice and that choice is to not allow it to keep them down forever and instead do something with it which right. I find so so admirable with what you've done with your life, what you're continuing to do with your life. Now, what does CASIF need? What does your foundation need to experience greater social impact? What do you need? Tell me in this last five or six minutes, what, what can help your foundation to continue to do what you're doing? Platform, finance, mm-hmm. and collaboration. Platform meaning... Mm-hmm. Without a microphone, without a platform, without ears to hear, the knowledge stays between my ears and the others in my organization. So we need a platform with which to speak. I was on Oprah Winfrey's network Mm -hmm. on a TV show called Iyana Fix My Life. Mm -hmm. I was on there. I did two days on her show. And I was invited back for the third time, but due to forces out of my control, I was not able to affect change mm-hmm. on, on that, that TV show. But I will again in the future. Yes, you'll be back, and you have a book I just coming, spoke and you, at, have, you have a lot at, of ways to affect change. Right. I just, um, our, my organization went and gave a presentation at Palisades Charter High School, Pacific Palisades, to 3,000 students and left a residual ripple effect of impact and perspective shifting. Wow. So we have pretty much a 100% success rate record since our formula- formulation of July 2015. So the platform is the ability to speak to those who have an ear to hear. Mm-hmm. No matter if you're anywhere from 8 years old up to 108 years old, 
We would anyone like with an earshot. Anyone with an earshot. It sounds like it's really made a great impact and make a greater social impact. Okay, so we've got platform. We need more of that. And then finance as well. Correct. Talk a little I'm bit about for, that. I'm looking for corporate sponsorship of corporations who want to not talk about it but be about social change. Exactly. I'm looking for people like the alcohol manufacturers of Anheuser-Busch and Budweiser and Heineken and Finlandia and Solishnaya, people who manufacture alcohol, people who manufacture electronic devices, Apple, Samsung, uh, Toshiba, Nokia, Hewlett-Packard, because the number one cause of death amongst teenagers is distracted and impaired driving. Right, and it's not just alcohol. You're right, alcohol and texting and all of the, all of those distractions. Right. As it's, it's affecting someone's mental state. Right. They're not paying attention. So, if you manufacture goods and products that play a powerful, marketable impact in the tragic consequences of people's misuse of your product, mm-hmm. shouldn't you want to sponsor organizations that are out to bring a cessation? I think that's a. I think that's a perfect marriage there. I think that's exactly what they should be doing, and they should be right. sponsoring a foundation such as yours. Absolutely. Right. So you know, I'm reaching out and I'm not getting the calls back. It's like we want to profit from our our alcohol, but we're not really interested in giving it back to someone who who's lived through the tragic consequences of misuse of the product. So I'm still reaching out. I'm not going to stop. No, and keep doing it as well as the devices because people on these devices are, you know, they're they're walking and driving blind. They're, I see people on, on hoverboards with earphones on and they're texting and they're just as dangerous as the person driving. It's, it's complete distraction, complete isolation. They're completely unaware of their surroundings and I just, something's got to change. My, and I just saw in my feed because I have my feed set up with a lot of filters and uh, metadata filters um, at the half of uh, Cecily Course and Chapel or Media. Mm-hmm. Um, she is helping me navigate my way through social media and media period. And I got recently in my speech seeing um, articles that kids are committing suicide using Facebook. Oh yeah, Lies. it's happening quite a bit. Lies. It's terrible. Live, live. So I'm reaching out to Mark Zuckerberg, asking him, can you help me? Can you help me help society? Can you help me get get the platform to speak to these kids and tell them there's another way to really get down to the cause and conditions to do the inventory and their mental thought process? Because before the kid actually thinks about committing suicide, there's 10,000 counterproductive, countercultural decisions that that kid makes that finally culminates in the attempt of suicide. You're exactly right. So can't you help me now plant that seed and let that be the seed that germinates instead of antisocial outcries? Absolutely. For, for, for publicity, for publicity. So, so you're saying... Andy Warhol, when he said everyone's going to get 15 minutes of fame, right? We, we as a society can help lead them to what kind of fame they're looking to, to derive. Exactly. Okay, so we're talking platform, financial, and what was the third that would help CASIF to have a greater social impact? It takes the village. Collaboration. Collaboration, absolutely. I bought in That's... my board member, my chief board member, the guy by the name of Travis Dredd. Mm-hmm. He worked with the, camp, the Barack Obama's campaign, both campaigns, 
and he just finished his term in office as deputy CEO of the Democratic National Convention. Uh, Dr. Lynn McCullough is the director of emergency med at UCLA Ronald Reagan, mm-hmm. and she lives the consequence of distracted and impaired driving, of suicide and bullying, of cultural, racial, ethnic, and gender insensitivity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And she is taking an active role, as well as her all UCLA, in saving and bringing a cessation to this kind of antisocial outcry. Well, it sounds, Keith, it sounds to me like you've really got, uh, you're, you're starting to get a lot of people behind you who are happy to help support your, your mission and support your foundation, and you just need more of it. So in this last couple of minutes, for one thing, I want to give out, the, again, the Suicide Prevention Hotline, which is 1-800-273-8255. And um, you can always reach me. At, let's see, Twitter is at It's Danny Delaney. That's I-T-S-D-A-N-I-D-E-L-A-N-E-Y. Um, Instagram, just Danny Delaney, D-A-N-I-D-E-L-A-N-E-Y. And, of course, DanielleDelaneyCounseling.com, which is where you can reach out to me. Keith, will you, again, give any information where people can reach you so that we can get the support to you? Absolutely. It's www.keithasummersfoundation.org. That's K-E-I-T-H-A-S-O-M-E-R-S, foundation, F-O-U-N-D-A-T-I-O-N, dot O-R-G. Keithasummersfoundation.org. Okay, dot org. So that's middle initial A and Summers with one M, KeithASummersFoundation.org. Keith, thank you again so much for being here with me today. Thank you for having me, and any time in the future, I'll be glad. I'm always happy to have you. You're very helpful to everyone within earshot. And to any, everyone listening today, remember that your identity is not the identity given to you. It's the identity that you choose to put forth and continue with your life. And uh, no, all, you always have one a more thing. What's that? That whether your story is a tragedy or a happy ending, it depends when you end your story. Don't end it today. Wait for the miracle to happen. Wait for the miracle. I like that. And that's exactly what people need to do. It's coming. So thank you again, Keith, and everyone. Until I speak to you next time, take care and be well. Thanks for joining us this week. Be sure to catch The Real Deal with Danielle Delaney live every Tuesday afternoon at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We can't wait for you to see what's in store next week.